Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. The WSL has returned from its winter hibernation and we witnessed one of the games of the season with Spurs beating West Ham in a seven-goal thriller. Rachel and I will be talking about that and how Spurs are enjoying an incredible season with such a young side. Plus... Christy Mewis versus the wind, Lauren James versus the world, and Bunny Shaw versus literally every team in the WSL right now. But obviously, before we get stuck in to the details and what happened and what went down, uh, Rach, what was your highlight of the weekend? I think we share the same one. Shall we have a joint highlight? Yeah, go on then, go on then. So it was after the Chelsea Man United game had to do a quick turnaround and head to the Landmark Hotel for the Football Writers Awards. They were handing out their tribute award. Um, I think this is the 42nd edition of this. Nice. Uh, and it's the it was Emma Hayes on the, re- on the receiving end of it. And it was a very lovely evening. Um, she was the first woman to receive this award, which she said was quite worrying. Big. But she also said, you can't go backwards now once you've made that step, right? So We just need... Is, 46 more female <clears throat> winners to kind of rectify that. Well, quite. Yeah. But, you know, previous winners include Alex Ferguson, David Beckham, players of that ilk, Pele. Um, yeah, you know, Yeah, well, you know. Okay, we're the, trying to pick the big names. The Claire. big ones. <laughs> uh, but no, it was a very nice evening. Uh, lots of people in the room. A really diverse room as well, which was great to see. And some nice speeches from Carly Telford, a great interview with Fran Kirby and Emma herself with a, an off-the-cuff excellent um, speech heartfelt wasn't it emotional she had us laughing she had us crying not a dry eye in the room um, yeah the tributes were kind of they were led by Vic Akers uh, the Arsenal ladies manager pretty much formed the Arsenal squad and was sort of battling behind the scenes to kind of get them you know the foundations to build on you know where they are now and you know it was quite a, quite a long speech from, from Vic Akers we enjoyed a brief history of Arsenal ladies getting into sort I of I think the, that was probably intentional you know with her being Chelsea manager he's like I'm going to remind you about <laughs> Arsenal where you started <laughs> Um, but no, it was. It was a lovely night. Everyone was dressed up. You looked absolutely fabulous, mate. So did you. Thank you. We were sort of tucked and dressed up. It was one of those nights. But yeah, it was lovely. I mean, Carly Telford and Frank Kirby, I think, were, they were so honest. I wasn't expecting that level of honesty. And they were, you know, they were kind of saying, you know, they'd had difficult moments. It had been quite challenging, their relationship with Emma. She'd, you know, obviously dropped Carly from, from quite a young age. She'd had to go to Knott's Forest. Then she'd kind of come back into her career. And, you know, Frank Kirby had obviously been through, you know, quite a lot of personal challenges and Emma had supported her, but also she did sort of give her, there was a massive laugh in the room when she said, well, she still sort of presented me with those challenges. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't actually starting the game that we and just played. And she's still so. here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, her, Emma Hayes' opening line was probably the best bit, got the biggest laugh of the night when she'd got this standing ovation as she came up to the stage and started with, fuck me, I hope my funeral's as good as this. Gold. I was so good. <laughs> Absolute gold. Absolute icebreaker. It was, yeah, it was a moment of beauty. And yeah, to do that all ad hoc, like completely unscripted, I think. Well, we see her in press conferences. It's not really any surprise, is it? But it was a lovely speech. Yeah, great night. Really great night. I feel absolutely shattered going into Monday, but well worth it. Totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, we did end up then missing what turned out to be the game of the season so far, potentially. Yes. I was keeping an eye on West Ham versus Spurs on my phone during the evening and I saw 1-0, 1-1 and then I saw 3-1 Spurs and I was like, Ugh. it's probably game over. Put the phone away, came back to it later in the evening and was like, what the hell happened? It was chaotic at best. Um, I mean, 
Do we think this is kind of the most entertaining game of this? I think going into the game, I don't think anyone expected it was going to be the headline game, given no. that Chelsea Man United were obviously going on this weekend. But Chrissy Mewis making her first WSL debut this weekend. We thought we were going to get a glimpse of her in the Chelsea West Ham FA Cup game last weekend, but she wasn't there. This weekend, different story. Uh, came on in the se- uh, 62nd minute for Hayashi. Um, it was amazing. Her I- biggest battle was with the corner flag. Yeah, there's been a lot of clips, a lot of gifts going round. Um, she was trying to take a corner and then the sort of flag kept blowing in her face, blowing in the ball. And in the end, the assistant referee had to kind of like help her. And then, the ball, and then the ball kept rolling as well. I think there was a little bit of, okay, the ball might not be absolutely still for every free kick mm. going forward. No, but she, she came on and she um, made an assist as well, which was great to see. I did put up on Instagram, I was like, the best fixture of the weekend was West Ham versus Spurs versus the wind. Yes. Because the conditions... It was a three-way competition. The conditions were horrendous and whether that led to the kind of almost all-out attacking football we saw, particularly in the second half, maybe. Because, you know, I, I can't remember who was commentating. I think it was Jilly Flaherty was on co-coms and she was discussing how difficult it is, particularly as a defender, mm. when it's so windy because the ball doesn't necessarily do exactly what you want it to do. It doesn't bounce the way you think it's going to bounce. You may oh, you not... think it's hard as a defender? Try being a goalkeeper in those conditions. Well, look, we had seven goals, so it was obviously <laughs> difficult. But yeah, things like connecting with the ball the way you think you're going to connect with it. So it definitely played a part, I think. Yeah, 100%. But I think, like you were saying sort of about Mewis, I mean, yeah, within eight minutes, you got the assist, uh, the, the tizzy had to, to level the score 3-3. I mean, it was a beautiful free kick into the box, like stunningly weighted, which is obviously difficult given the conditions. Um, I mean, you could hear the wind on iPlayer. You could barely hear some of the It was like shaking. Points. It was like kind of gantry. <laughs> But yeah, I think, um, you know, with Mewis there and also Gory, I do think like there seems to be like a fire in West Ham's belly. I think in any other game, if, if, if West Ham had gone behind that many times, three times in one game to then get themselves back out of that situation and also right at the death, Gory almost picked up that fourth goal, that equaliser. Um, and it was a strike that sort of ricocheted off the Tottenham post. I mean, they were so lucky. And I think on balance, a draw probably would have been a, a fair result. Absolutely. Um, but like even when you sort of look at the stats of that game, 48% possession for West Ham 16 chances I mean Spurs had slightly more chances on target but the pass accuracy between both of them 76% for West Ham 79% for, for Spurs like it was an evenly matched battle West Ham had a higher goal XG higher um, passes in the thir- final third and higher touches in the opposition box so you can understand why they were really frustrated to not come away with anything and the fact that Spurs third goal should not have stood it was controversial I would be annoyed. If I was a goalkeeper, if I was Arnold, I would be thinking, okay, well, there's clearly, you know, in your line of sight, directly in your line of sight, you can't, she couldn't see with the ball. She didn't even try and go for the ball because she didn't even see it come until it was in the back of her net. So I think, yeah, it, it probably shouldn't have stood. And that was the game changer. That was the difference between having three points and having nothing. And so. what was frustrating, I think, for it was because there was such a, a distance between the kind of defensive line and the player in... It was about four or five foot. So it's not like it was really tight or really close. So I think that was probably really frustrating that it wasn't spotted. I did see someone say, well, Arnold was never going to save it anyway. That's not really how offside works. Like, It's an interesting call. (laughs) It is, but also it's not really the point. No, it's not. Do we? Does it, do, it, it kind of almost sort of reinvigorates the debate about VAR, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Because no, and Brianne Skinner, who was rightly annoyed afterwards, she was asked about that and she said she wasn't, you know, it's not that she was suddenly going to be calling for VAR. She said it's more important that we invest in the people first oh, and get the, the referees to be full time. And I think it's important that that's the route we go down because if you bring in VAR, you're just going to have at times part-time referees using using it rather than really we should be investing in the people first. 100%.
I think, I know, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, right, I mean, we've got to talk about the other side of the coin. West Ham, we do, I do feel like they've, you know, they've got that fire in their belly. They're going to come back there. I think this is sort of like a good start to the WSL season. And yeah. despite the defeat, I yeah. think it's actually West a Ham very fans promising should be void yeah. by that. 100%. Um, I mean, putting West Ham to bed this weekend was pretty much Grace Clinton. I mean, 20-year-old, obviously got her first England call-up in October for Serena's camp. Um, you know, we've not really kind of seen her in, like, Lioness's action uh, yet. And it's I think it's going to be... It's almost quite interesting as as this kind of player as she is at the moment because, you know, obviously we're not in the Olympics, so there's nothing to kind of work towards in terms of this, um, the, the Paris Olympics. But I do think for 2025, I think it's probably the right timing for her to kind of have this year of kind of, you know, being it quite low-key, you know, building herself. Like the England squad are getting a little bit older. I think 2025 is probably going to be, you know, Clinton's year. But I Break mean, year. what we saw from her in this Spurs game was outstanding. I mean, score within six minutes. It was edge of the box, sharp turn, left Footwork. foot. Oof. On her weaker foot, Arnold had absolutely no chance given the pace and distance. And, you know, she'd worked through, I mean, she got four players she went through to to make that shot and it went through the legs of one defender so there's something a bit kind of Russo-esque about her there's a kind of there's a physicality to her I mean despite being you know a younger player she's up she's kind of there's nothing about her that feels shaky she feels quite solid do you know what I mean? Yeah she's quite a mature head on her shoulders in, and especially in a situation like that her decision making was what was so impressive because Beautiful. that's often something that might be lacking with a younger player who hasn't had that experience yet. 100%. And the way that she received the ball and saw what she needed to do to get her feet right and get around the, the defender in such a short space of time um, was excellent. Um, I think she's absolutely flying at Spurs and Robert was asked post-match whether he wanted to hang on to her um, you know, or whether, you know, because obviously she is on loan from Manchester United mm-hmm. and he said that he absolutely loves Grace Clinton and would be mad to try and not to try and sign her permanently. Um he did say she is a United player. Um and he's, you know, he normally isn't a big loan fan. Like he uses the loan system to an extent, but he's much more interested in getting players in identity. and getting them in long term. But yeah, he said he would be mad not to want to sign Grace Clinton. So it'll be interesting to see what she decides at the end of the season. How can you not? I mean, even when you look at the sort of second goal, that pinpoint pass to Bizet, I mean, it was the, the assist there, absolutely beautiful, so perfectly weighted. The third goal, I mean, what can you even say about that third goal? I mean, it's an absolute moment of brilliance. I mean, that was the goal of the weekend for me. It was a corner punched away by Arnold, found Clinton, edge of the box, strikes so cleanly into the bottom left-hand corner. I just thought, yeah, that was kind of, I feel like that game, even though she was building in sort of fame, that game has kind of propelled her into that second level of notoriety, I think. With yeah, Spurs. and it's it's seeing those consistent performances from her because she has played well during the season. I remember her during uh, the game against Brighton scoring an absolute belter um, and then she progressed from there and she just continues to provo- p- perform consistently mm-hmm. for Spurs, which is really exciting for such a young head. You mentioned Celine Buzet there as well. I think she's hugely underrated um, and she's one of my favourite Spurs players this mm-hmm. season alongside Grace. Um, I think she's been brilliant. So I'm pleased she got the goal as well. Well, it was weird. I suppose Spurs' transition as well. Obviously, Marta Thomas was the name that everyone was talking about when the season first started. And, you know, she was creeping up the sort of, and everyone was like, oh, she's going to get golden boot. And then all of a sudden, Grace Clinton's run alongside. Beth England, obviously, back in the squad as well. So it kind of feels like there's something quite exciting building at Spurs in terms of the older players. But then also, you've got this kind of like youngsters 
um, emergence at, at Spurs. I mean, another youngster, I mean, Jess Naz, I've got to give a shout out to her. She's 23. Uh, she scored a goal in the 75th minute. It was ball just inside the area. Um, took it on the turn. First time, low driven shot, left hand corner. It was kind of like a Clinton hold my beer type moment. <laughs> she did so well again to kind of adjust her body and the footwork again, absolutely excellent. But I mean, I've known Jess for... She started at Arsenal uh, as a youngster and then came to Spurs uh, in our champion the championship year just before we went into the WSL. And she was young then, but I mean, she played 17 games uh, for us. There was four goals. Um, and now she's nearly made well, just under 70 appearances for Spurs. So she's almost turned into sort of a silent Spurs legend. And I don't necess- necessarily think she's had that kind of recognition yet, her kind of defining moment. But I think that like, she's growing, but... I think from my time at Spurs, she was um, she was quite quiet. She was quite. She obviously had the um, when we got into the WSL, she suffered an ACL injury pretty much at the start of the season, which saw her out. And I sort of had my own injuries and bits and pieces, and sort of spent quite a lot of time with her in the rehab room. And you know, she was very kind of low key, but she had this kind of like spark and this like fiery personality. Like she would she would be the one who kind of backed herself in a way like she'd be doing these um like she'd be practicing her goal celebrations that was a big thing like there was one goal celebration that she had was like mixing it was like a mixing bowl so like she'd go to the corner flag and like mix it up it was like mix it up and you know as an older person in the squad in the Spurs squad I I was thinking I don't think this is uh well I actually don't know what the fuck this is but I was like (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) not only older person in the squad but also a goalkeeper so goal celebrations probably aren't your thing anyway well I was just like if you want to visualise this obviously it's like you know the moment that you score that goal you get back on that pitch that's what you want to do 100% and then it was quite interesting to see the kind of goal celebrations and how they'd moved on because it was like this kind of like skip thing like this Guys, I, I wish you could see which close. <laughs> I couldn't quite work out what it was, but she's always had that kind of spark about her. And I think um, she is becoming sort of like, once she's sort of finding her feet, come back from injury and sort of like getting herself, you know, so much more game time. She's um, she's definitely sort of like one player that I think is is going to progress and yeah, do business this season. But She's another weapon for Spurs. And I think in the past, she's been a bit of a super sub, understandably. She's yeah. young um, and she's to come on and have a real impact. But I think the impact she's having now when she comes on is she's forcing her way into the starting 11 as well at times. So it just gives Robert another headache, which is great. Um, you know, it's really fun to see how he uses all of the weapons that he has you know I, I think mm-hmm. Martha Thomas was playing a deeper role I think she's playing the 10 role as well so it's really interesting to see how she's le- linking up with Beth England but when you've got Grace Clinton banging away the goals and you've got Bizet as well on the, on the wings like it's it's a very exciting style of football it does mean they're very much focusing on the attacking play and maybe less so on the defence which he did acknowledge in post-match that when they went up when it went to 3-3 he thought okay maybe we should start doing some defending which I thought was really funny well I think you know you should always really concentrate on defending it scares me as a goalkeeper that that's sort of something that's you know taking a bit of a back seat in some of these games but um, yeah I think you're completely right there does seem to be something quite exciting building at Spurs and it's quite interesting I think to see some of the older players departing in this January transfer window I mean we've just seen sort of Rhea Percival go out and loan to Crystal Palace so Dorsky's left as well so it kind of feels like you know he's brought in uh, Matilda Vinberg Charlie Grant already this winter I mean, they're 20 and 22 years old. Um, but it does feel like there's a kind of emergence of a new kind of Spurs identity in a way. A kind of, you know, let's get these players, let's build them up, let's, you know, give them game time, but also kind of bolster that, I suppose, with signings like, you know, Beth England, like Martha Thomas as well. So, yeah, and obviously like with the new facilities and things, and it seems to be sort of heading in a very good direction. Yeah, and I, I think what's really exciting is he's got a long-term vision for the club and he's thinking long-term. Um, Soph was talking to me about how 
she asked him about how Spurs use the loan system because he's spoken in press conferences about how he wants to focus more on bringing players in and making them Spurs players and having them there for across a longer contract rather than uh, loan players. And he said that the Spurs, you know, the Spurs academy is still young in its development, but that his ultimate ambition is for Spurs to have a really strong academy where they can recruit from a young age, mould players mm-hmm. into their own identity and how he would love Spurs to be producing the next Lionesses from their academy. So he's got a real like passion and vision, which is exciting, I think, and uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So while he may bring in like Nildens on loan, for example, I think that's kind of that's a bit something where he, there's an, a, an immediate need that mm-hmm. he needs to address. But generally, I think he's very much focused on on really building a long term squad, which is exciting. I've got to say, I mean, when I was even when I was there, all these many many years ago, um, the academy was something that actually they paid quite a lot of attention to. And at the time, it was um, there was Ak, um, who now who was sort of um, you know in and around the scenes of the Jamaican women's national team, who now is um, Juan Juan Carlos, uh, right hand man um, over in America, and. And then also you've got Laura Kaminsky as well, who's now the head coach at Crystal Palace and Crystal Palace are obviously doing business. So they had a lot of good supporting coaches around them at that time. And there was this kind of real sense of we want to build that. In fact, I think that that is one thing from that time. I'd probably say that they were doing pretty well. So to get a manager in that's really invested in it. Oh, 100%. It's going to take it to the next level. Yeah. And I think the way they were as well with the kids, I mean, there was this sense of it, you know, it obviously being a high demand and highly pressurized, intense environment. But I mean, they would take the piss as well. Like it was almost like they, you have to sort of, you know, have that element of fun, have that element of jo- enjoying the game um, and also, you know, build them to be in a professional environment. It was, um, I think they got the balance quite right. So I think maybe that's starting to sort of come to fruition at the moment. But um, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what they do this season. First game of the WSL back in 2024. So, you know, long may they reign. It does also kind of feel a little bit, there's this kind of mid-block, isn't there now, of like Spurs, Liverpool, kind of sitting in and around. Man and United, Man United, all on the same Sitting in this like almost kind of like joint fourth place block. Um, yeah, it kind of feels like, you know, Tottenham and Liverpool stepped into that kind of disruptor type role that we kind of talked or talked about or thought that Aston Villa would be kind of sitting in. Um, and that's obviously gone a bit Pete Tong, but... <sighs> they well. did get a very important win against Leicester on Friday. That has taken them up to seventh. So they did. They're just outside that little sandwich of 18 points. Just outside. Just outside. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Let's discuss the biggie then, okay? We can't ignore it. It was a big matchup. Chelsea, Man United, everyone was going into this game. I think the kind of momentum was probably behind Chelsea. Uh, I think Man United are yet to beat Chelsea, but the standout kind of element of this game, Lauren James, I mean, runs riot at Stamford Bridge. Again, scored her second consecutive hat-trick at the bridge. Uh, she ran over to celebrate in front of the Man United fans after her first. Uh, I've got, I mean, 20,000, just over 20,400 fans attended at the bridge, which is pretty decent, actually, considering I think first game of the season was about 14,000. And, you know, we, we keep talking about this, but they have struggled to kind of get the kind of same fan base attending these games as, as Arsenal. But Lauren James, I mean, it was just moment of brilliance after moment of brilliance after moment of brilliance. Um, what do we think about the celebrations, first off, at the Man United fans? Do we think there's sort of an element there of... I don't, I don't want to say it. She's obviously very talented. She's very confident in her ability, and so she should be. But there, there kind of feels like there's a, a slight bit of arrogance there. Obviously, it's kind of like almost showmanship. You want a bit of like, you know, the panto villain sort of going over there and, you know, being you know giving them a bit of crap. But at the same time, I think there you do want a likeable personality. You want someone who's talented, but also sort of... you. I think we crave that kind of maybe humbleness as well in talent. Or would you disagree? Do you actually think it sort of adds to the drama? I loved it. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. I think... The shithousery um, is what you want to see more no, of. No, I think she was booed by the United fans when she was over there for a corner. So her response was to go and score an amazing goal and, and celebrate in front of them. And I think United have brought a really great contingent of fans. It was a really big number of them. Um, and as she said afterwards, if you're going to give it, you've got to be able to take it. And mm-hmm. I think you know, that's that provided more atmosphere at the at the ground. So yeah, more of it. And then when she scored her hat trick, completed her hat trick down the other end of the pitch, she went up to the fans and she high fived all the Chelsea fans. I love it. <laughs> so you actually back there being more of that. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes, you know, there are great moments. I remember it's a Kay Longhurst going, have some of that into the into the camera. <laughs> like stuff like that. They're like little moments that you, you Is it you just can because enjoy. it gets you best photos? Maybe. But there we go. Maybe I'm being selfish, but no, I do. I do think sometimes it's not going to happen all the time. Of course, but I think sometimes when it does, there's some fun moments. Well, I think the thing is, like, she had a reason to celebrate. I mean, she looked like she was seriously enjoying her own performance. Um, I mean, the first goal was kind of like a ping pong. I mean, it's the first five minutes, and I think everyone kind of knew then United were going to be under the cosh. Um, a sort of a ping pong moment between Canarid, Wrighton, and James, and then her sort of slotting home at the near post. Mary Epps, I think, could have done better, but I mm. think there was a small deflection. Um, yeah, but still. But I think, I think at the near post, with the angle being so tight, I think mm, I'd be quite critical of that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, sort of bringing in a sort of positioning angle or element to this. I mean, we saw James as a 10 in the first half and then as a 9 in the second half. Um, I mean, what did you kind of think of that 
change. I can't say that I really found that there was that much change in her positioning, really. Um, I thought initially that maybe Emma Hayes had brought me official off too early. For sure. Because it was 2-1. Man United definitely grew. While they had a poor first half or a poor kind of first 35 minutes or so, they definitely grew into the game and were putting Chelsea's goal under an awful lot more threat in that second half. And I did worry that maybe Fischl had come off too early. I thought Lawrence at times was struggling then to maybe find that talisman in the middle. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, obviously they're stepping up in, in Sam Kerr's uh, absence, but they're not automatic direct replacement for Sam Kerr. And LJ is quite different, and she'll often drift out a bit wider, even when she's playing that nine role. And I think a lot of that is down to her hold up play. So at times, Nuskin was kind of coming through the middle to offer that option. But, you know, I, I imagine as defenders, then it makes it really hard to defend because sometimes you just don't really know what she's going to do. Oh, massively. But I think that's the, but what I saw when she was sort of drifting off into those kind of wider positions, which felt, I think, a little bit more comfortable for her, a little bit more natural. I mean, that kind of played in her favour. I mean, the amount of times that there was, you know, balls lofted into her from, you know, either the, the left or the right position, she was kind of changing things up a little bit. And it felt like she was being put in one-on-one -on -one situations too many times. Once, you could maybe say, United, that's an area you've switched off. But when you keep it two, three times, the one player you need to really mark out of a game, which is what Arsenal did, which is why you see those frustrating moments from James where she does sort of, you know, lose her, lose her head a little bit. They just completely, it was like they were allergic to marking her. And if any team should know anything about Lauren James, it should be Man United. 100%. Now, arguably, <laughs> I know she's not an easy player to mark, but I think of all kind of teams, at least they have had experience with her training against her. Um, so yeah, I think they absolutely struggled. I was going to ask you about James as well because, you know, she scored her second goal, which arguably Erps came off her line. She kind of found herself a bit stranded and I think she faced some criticism for that. But I also think she was left stranded by her defenders. So she was caught in two minds as to whether to go. I don't think if she'd gone out, she would have been able to stop that. So she kind of ended up coming back a bit to try and, try and defend it. But as a goalkeeper, I can only imagine what it must be like seeing Lauren James bearing down on goal when she's on a hat-trick. Uh, I mean, I faced it uh, in the championship when we played United. This was back in the day. I mean, Lauren Jones was only 17 then. And the physicality that she had, I mean, I don't know how many goals she scored in that game. I try and block it out. It's not good for me to kind it's of recall those kind of events. But um, it, it just felt like, I mean, she'd body, it was Ash Neville off the ball. She'd body Jenna Scalacci off the ball. She'd body like Angela Addison off the ball. It was just like she would body people off the ball and stroll through you like she was just walking her dog. Like the ball was her dog and she'd just be walking casually on the park. That was just how, that was that was her talent and the kind of prowess that she had then. I think when you've got a player who can sort of manipulate her footwork in that way, who can, you know, plough through defences and it, it fills you with terror because you're like, okay, well, the next thing is you're going to have a shot. And these aren't weak shots. They're not, they're, they're, they're the placement, I think, now that she has is better. But beforehand, when she was sort of 17, 18 years old, what you were seeing was just a the power, the strike through, the just, you know, the, the goal is pretty much in this area. I'm going to strike through. And nine times out of 10, well, it was a goal. And, you know, now you what see you she's, she's got so little backlift. Um, the confidence on the ball. There was a moment I was shooting at Stamford Bridge and she she ran by. She'd just um, bounced, I think it was Jade Riviere, off the ball and she just kind of looked over her shoulder with a smirk like, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, and I just thought you are so cool for someone so young. Like, she's so much swagger and confidence um, and there was another moment on the far side of the pitch where she just kind of stood still and the defender stood still and then she did one of those kind of dummies and the defender was like <laughs> turning themselves inside out and just the footwork to get around them. So she kind of has so many different elements to her game. Something Emma Hayes picked up on was her 
her ability to hold up the ball as well, you know, to take on players 1v1, to pull them out wide, you know, really good at finding people in the box as well. So just when you think that LJ can't kind of find another level, she goes to Stamford Bridge. Well, massively. And I think everyone was like, oh, is is she, is it going to work with her sort of, you know, position-wise for that, the last game with West Ham where it seemed, she seemed to struggle? But I feel like Emma Hayes is kind of ploughing through with this, you know, trying to instil that mentality of an interchangeable kind of 9 and 10 for her, which makes her even more scary because it makes her more versatile, which is horrible. When you think about, like, that level of player, that, that like, how good she is, you think of someone like a Kelly Smith mm-hmm. and... Yes, they'll have a particular role that they're especially good in, but they're also the kind of player where they're like, just go in this kind of area and then just do what you do. <laughs> and I think she's just very be. much, yeah, she's very much one of those players. And you might be like, yeah, she's in the 10 role, but also like, just do what you do. <laughs> and if you want to go over here, you go over there. If you want to go in the nine, you go in the nine. Just do what you do. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's working, so don't change it. Uh, I've also got to give a massive shout out to Neve Charles as well. Uh, she captained Chelsea for the absolute first time, a debut captaincy uh, for Charles. Uh, you can, of course, go back and listen to Rachel's interview with her. Uh, that was released last Thursday. Really lovely interview at the bridge. Yeah, thanks. She was very nice to chat to. Great to see her get the captain's armband as well. And I think seeing that armband being rotated around Chelsea at the moment just shows how many leaders they have in the squad as well. 100%. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, still unknown sort of when Millie Bright will be dropping back into the squad, but no kind of real update on her. I think Emma Hayes initially said that she wouldn't be back before the um, the international window. I think that's sort of mid-end of Feb. So mm. not any time soon for them, but they seem to be doing okay without her in her absence. So far, so good. Natalie Bjorn had a good game. Oh my um, God, yeah, she bridge. got the assist, yeah, yeah. for the second. Um, and I know this isn't a replacement for Millie Bright, but someone I've really enjoyed watching in a Chelsea shirt this season is Ashley Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's made a real impact. So she's one of the standouts for me at the moment as well. Okay, and one last shout out. I've got two. It's a goalkeeper shout out. Yeah, why not? Hannah Hampton started. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting that Emma Hayes would throw Hampton into a game of this magnitude. Normally, you'd expect maybe she'd start in the FA Cup, the Conti Cup, get her some, you know, get get those kind of the the minor minutes, the minutes that don't matter as much, um, I'd say. But didn't even see Anne Katchenberger make the team sheet this game. Obviously, it was um, Zakira Musevic on the bench instead. I mean, she had some absolutely critical saves. I mean, she denied Ladd the equaliser in the first half, which I think was an absolute key moment. That could have been Manchester United getting a foothold back in the game. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really lovely to see. I think she held herself well. I think she looked confident. Um, and I think part of Hayes' decision looks to be around sort of maybe her footwork, the ability, her distribution, I think was key in this game. So I think that was just really, really nice to, yeah, and it to just see that. Further shows the, the strength and depth. Um, I messaged someone during the first kind of five minutes and was like, it's quite an interesting squad. Like I mm. didn't expect Hampton. I didn't really expect Leupold's to start, for example. Mm-hmm. And then after five minutes, I was like, oh, seems to be working Lawrence just scored so (laughs) what do we know (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the depth there that Chelsea have but yeah no I think that was a good and it's obviously been it seems like a a very unusual journey for Hampton over the last couple of years obviously with Villa getting loads of game time there and then sort of you know she wasn't out of the she was out of the England squad coming back into the England squad as well Um, yeah over I mean Ellie Roebuck still sort of figuring out where she's going and what, what she's up to at the moment so yeah I think um Really, really lovely moment. Really lovely to me. And I always love it when you have a big game like that. The pressure 
being dropped into a Chelsea game at the bridge against Man United, having the backing of your manager, knowing that, you know, that is one of the key games this year, I think will have been huge for her confidence and obviously coming away with the win and almost a clean sheet. Yeah, I think she is the type of player, though, that is good in those moments. Yeah, for sure. I mean... For such for someone so young, she's been put in highly pressurised, demanding situations <laughs> quite a lot. So, yeah. But let's flip it slightly then. Let's just have a quick look at, at Man United. I mean, they've started, they, they started the game badly uh, and then kind of grew into it. But it wasn't, in, I mean, for the first half, it seemed like it was kind of one-way traffic. Um, for me, I didn't feel very confident going into this game. Man United are yet to beat Chelsea. It feels like Chelsea are their kind of, the last or the final, final frontier, yes. yeah, into kind of, you know, real escalation into a solid top four, top three. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what what do you think it kind of says about their, you know, prospects, I suppose, this year? They now sit 10 points clear of Chelsea. They've lost three games this season. No WSL side has won the WSL title, um, losing more than two games. So do we think now they're sort of, you know, we've got a question in from, from Stappers Britt on Instagram. Can United still make the title race or is it over for them do we think I think I think they can still have a say in the title race but I don't think they're going to win it okay um and it's less about this whole stat about you can't lose more than two games and win the title race I think that is inevitably going to change at some point whether it's this season I don't know but it's looking at when you're 10 points off where those teams above you are going to drop that many points and you having to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the teams above you dropping points. You now have to be perfect for the rest of the season. Yep. And that's really bloody hard. Um, so yeah, it you can't say it's absolutely entirely over, but it, it doesn't look good. Um, and it is going to be difficult. And I think their focus will probably be now on on ensuring they make Champions League spots. 100%. Um, and I think it's, it's also at the back of the context with it kind of being... Did they overachieve last season? I think given the squad they have, the investment, the resources that they have. I mean, you know, reaching Champions League, getting those top two spots, getting into the FA Cup final. The bar is set so high now, the expectation. I think that's where we're starting to see this kind of expectation creep in with Skinner and maybe these kind of criticisms creep in. I mean... There is some weight to that when you kind of look at, you know, Man City unveiling their new new ten million pound their their facilities. You know, Brighton have just had their plans approved for all these facilities, and you know, you look at United still sitting at Lee Sports Village, which is probably one of the most depressing places in the country that you can visit, bar I don't know around around and roundabout in Birmingham. Um, it's just not an easy place to get to. It, it's 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 horrendous. It doesn't fill anyone with kind of like woo vibes. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, and also, I think it, it, the the club seems to be kind of like a bit of a turbulent time as well. Um, with sort of this Ineos, um, sort of Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, sort of bought a twenty five percent state uh, percent stake in United to gain sporting control and invest in sort of I think it's about three hundred million dollars in the club. Um, and that looks to be something that I think fans aren't too sure of how that impact is going to sort of play out um so yeah it kind of feels like they're they're in a sort of turbulent couple of years I think United Um, I think what worried me a little bit about the performance at the weekend is that over the years they've been chipping away right they've made the top three a top four they've started to beat those in the top three they Mm -hmm. go to Arsenal and come away 3-2 at the Emirates like they're starting to put in those performances and show that they're improving 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 they're they have every right now to be in that top four label I think what I saw on Sunday is that and I know they haven't beaten Chelsea before, but oftentimes when you've watched those clashes in the past, you think they're so close, mm-hmm. like it's not far off. And Sunday, it felt like it was, they had regressed and it didn't look like a team who were close to beating Chelsea. And now no. arguably as the game went on, they very well could have made it 2-2 in the end. But that was kind of my initial thought in the first half was 
suddenly that gap that they'd closed seemed to have opened a little bit. And yep. look, you can have off days, I understand that. But I think more broadly around the season, fans have been concerned about performances. Yeah. Um, and this will have just added to that concern. I think it's a humbling year for them. Yeah. I think they're sort of like a trajectory, absolute peak last year. I think it was a bit similar to Aston Villa, actually, where you mm. kind of have this like absolutely massive peak season and then you drop off. Everton's done it. Spurs have done it. Yeah, maybe that is just sort of part of the life cycle of, you know, getting to the top where you have these kind of peaks, you dip a little bit. It's and not linear. Yourself, yeah, it's that. Yeah, and it, you we know... expect too much from this tra- trajectory. <laughs> maybe, but I think, look, with the players that are coming in and, and what, gets said around press conferences and and you know yes there's expectation but I also think Skinner puts that expectation on the team as well that's where he expects the team to be so if you're going to speak like that you need to deliver on it as well so you know they're not just a flash in the pan breaking into the top four they've been steadily progressing and solidified a a place in that top four I still think think you've got to beat Chelsea to kind of really consolidate that. But here we go. Uh, Well, talking of the manager roundabout, uh, I know despite me trying to throw uh, fuel into the manager uh, roundabout fire, uh, I did want to see Casey Stoney back at United. What with Skinner's (laughs) contract kind of being up at the end of uh, the season. Uh, But she did say she's going to remain at San Diego Wave uh, despite me calling for her to come back um, and despite Chelsea's interest um, Laura Harvey also said her home is in Seattle right now so apparently the sort of only one left out of this trio of potential prospects uh, is Elizabeth Gunner's daughter um, still in the running we don't know how advanced if any it's quite rogue um, I don't know much about her but having a, a, a quick Google it seems like a bit of a rogue she's a bit of an unknown quantity mm. but then you've got to remember that Jonas Eidevall was a bit of an unknown quantity going into Arsenal when he first started I think that not a lot of people kind of knew his history and his context that's true but he was, then, he was taking over at a time where Arsenal had kind of started to slip up and were no longer top dogs you know they'd you know had Shelley Kerr they'd had Joe Montemura they'd had Pedro Losa like mm-hmm. they were they'd kind of their journey others had caught up I suppose and they weren't yep. like always winning everything Chelsea don't have that tip Chelsea have been unbelievable and it's interesting to see where they go next and what the expectation will be Oh, bring on September Right, we are now going to touch on Liverpool Man City. It was a 5-1 destruction of Liverpool. And despite them going ahead, uh, they then proceeded to continuously shoot themselves in the foot um, all afternoon. Um, Rach, what were your thoughts on this game? Because it seemed to be one-way traffic and then Taylor Hines sort of, there was a, a beautiful little dink over uh, Kiara Keating. It was caught out of position, not really her fault. I think she was going for the ball and it was sort of half cleared and then uh, fell to Taylor Hines who then sort of like just lofted it. Beautiful weighted pass right over uh, um, Kiara Keating's outstretched palm. But it was completely against the run of play. Um, and I was thinking, OK, are we going to see the sort of similar situation that we saw at the end of last season uh, in, I think it was about April, May. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny afternoon, midweek game. I remember it well because I was sat on my balcony with a glass of Rioja enjoying my Ooh, life. I know. Was, I don't know why. It was just such a pivotal moment. I think I'd just done the decoration in my flat and I remember like, I was on the balcony like watching this game and I was like, oh my God, what an exciting game. It felt like one of those moments when I don't think... It <laughs> <laughs> was exciting for you, but for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. It just it brought me back there. I'm really sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I was like, okay, okay, is this going to be the tipping point? Is this going to be the kind of little boost that that Liverpool kind of need to get themselves back into the game? Um, But then Liverpool kept on messing up. I mean, it kind of started with the 19th minute Gemma Bonner own goal. I mean, to credit her, it was a great near post finish. Nothing she could have done. She had to. And it was the ball bounced 
it was the flight of the ball and it bounced just beforehand and she was kind of already committed to like trying to intercept it. She had to. She had to. She had a player on her shoulder. If she'd not, it would have been a goal anyway. No, I was giving credit to the finish. It was a really impossible finish for for any decent striker, let alone, you know, your own player. Um, But 10 minutes later, uh, goalkeeper Tegan Micah then passed out uh, pretty much directly to Bonnie Shaw, who basically had a kind of free run on goal to like slot home. Um, There was absolutely no chance. She was trying to play it out uh, to Nagano to receive. And from the goalkeeping perspective, I think... There was a great camera angle. There was, I mean, it's very rare that you get two camera angles in a WSL game. I know what it was on TV. That's why. (laughs) What an absolute privilege uh, to have two different perspectives on on a game. But normally, obviously, you have the kind of overhead one, the bird's eye view. But there was a beautiful shot just behind goal. It was given Tegan Micah's perspective from. You know, from a, a club that is trying to play out, you have to take risks. You have to pay those, you know, balls that you're, you know, you have to have confidence in your defence as well to come and receive those balls. So there was a slight bit of criticism that I have for Nagano not coming out and sort of anticipating that that was where she was going to play. They would have worked on those passing patterns, going out left, coming back into the keeper, working out through the middle. It was a very uh, straight pass, which is never kind of a good idea. It never should be sort of a 90 degree angle type pass directly in front of you. It should at least be off centre, which it, it kind of was. She kind of played it out to Nagano's left-hand side, but I think it was the weight of the pass, that the speed of the ball, that I think she got completely wrong. If that was five, six miles an hour um, quicker, I don't think Shaw would have had the opportunity to, to intercept it, but it was quite nice just having that, that angle. So shout out to Tegan. I appreciate what you're trying to do, and it is difficult in those situations, especially when Man City has such a great press, and especially against the league's current top goal scorer. I mean, that's, that's bold. She's bold. unbelievable. Like, <laughs> And this is the thing, like, she scores so many different types of goals. She does so much work, and I've talked about it before, off the ball. Mm. But she is not someone you want to have around when you're tentatively passing a ball out to a midfielder. Like, you know, she is going to absolutely poach that. She's going to be there to, and you know, physically she can impose herself on on players as well. So if it's a poor touch or slow ball, she's there. Um, unbelievable. Third goal was a, a back heel as well, I think. Disgusting. Man City deserve to win that game. They've arguably been the, playing the most consistent football this season. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think the way in which they uh, Liverpool lost it will be frustrating because three of those goals, ultimately, they could have prevented. 100%. Like, they were their mistakes, which I think will be very frustrating for them. Um, so, yeah, it, I think going into that game, probably a bit of a free hit for Liverpool. And I think it's similar to the Chelsea game where first half, they were really in the game. Yep. Second half fell apart. I think first half, City did dominate, but I think they got that third goal in injury time of, of the first half. Yeah. And that's a sucker punch. I think Seven minutes of injury time. Yeah. I think if you'd gone in 2-1 down, Different you might game. feel like you could get back into it, but I think that was a sucker punch. And again, it fell apart then in the second half. Yeah. I mean, I did feel, I had mixed views on Tegan. Micah because I think um, there were some things that she did absolutely brilliantly I think the I mean the second um, it was in that was that short header for the the last few minutes of the um, of the first half and she got a hand to it but it just hit the post and went in I thought that would have been a phenomenal save and a great effort Um, and then again second half um, Taylor Hines obviously goal scorer in the first half second half kind of makes quite a critical error just holding on to the ball way too long and there was a great first save by uh, Mika's and um, Sh- um, Shaw sort of takes this ridiculously fast paced low driving shot that Mika just about gets gets a hand to and then that's the one where, where Bunny Shaw heals it back heals it and she's just got no chance because you never see that coming that's yeah. just so cheeky but I think the threats that Man City have will excite their fans you know because 
Kelly is getting on the score sheet. Yeah. Lauren Hemp is getting on the score sheet. Laura Coombs is scoring goal. Like, their threats, it's not just Bunny Shaw, but when you've got threats from everywhere and your striker is scoring your third hat-trick in four WSL games. Mad. Like, it, it must be pretty frightening to come up against. Oh, and I think Bunny Shaw's on a mission. I mean, oh. she just narrowly missed out on the golden boot last not year this to Rachel time. Daly. So Rachel Daly got 22 goals last year. Uh, Bunny Shaw was on 20. But I've got to say, when I was looking at the stats, three of Rachel Daly's goals are penalties. Yeah, but when you we were chatting about this in the group chat, and I thought it's really interesting, is that nine of Bunny's 12 goals came in three games. That is... It's weird, isn't it? That is... They're like buses. They all come at once. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she was injured, I think, at the beginning of the season as well. So I think actually she's appeared in 10 games, um, which makes it even more impressive. Well, now she's two goals clear of Lauren James, currently sitting as the current top goal scorer. Obviously, we've still got half the, half the season left to go, but it does feel like there is this kind of passion that's sort of been lit up inside her to kind of get that, the, the, the golden boot that she didn't get last year, in a way. Um, but yeah, she's obviously you know, making waves, she's doing her business. And I, I think as soon as you know that Bunny Shaw's getting on, you know, she's getting on the ball, there's there's a really good chance. I think it's about a 63% chance from the stats or something like that, that she's going to she's gonna score. And so. if she scores two, there's a pretty high chance she's going to get a hat <laughs> <laughs> Or even one. Well, let's take it to the other side of Man City. Just a, wor- uh, a word on their defence as well. I mean, just the eighth goal that Man City have conceded in the league. Last season, they conceded 25, um, by far the absolute most in the top four. Um, yeah, I think they just look, um, apart from obviously the the Liverpool goal, the Taylor Hines goal in the first half, which obviously did rattle them. And I think it sort of, you know, pull your socks up type vibes. I do feel like they've been one of those consistent sides this year. We've kind of, how many times have we criticised Gareth Taylor for God knows how many things over the years? Yeah, and, and we questioned their lack of rotation and the lack of players uh, in and out at the beginning of the season. And we were intrigued to see how that was going to play out. And actually it's it's playing out pretty well because they look like a team that have had that group of players together for a long time and things are starting to make sense. So yeah, they've conceded the least number of goals in the league this season, um, closely followed by Arsenal. And Arsenal have conceded 11, but for some reason it feels like Arsenal leak goals a lot. And it's weird that they're the second lowest um, goals scored against. Uh, Well, the best way to defend is to attack. That is so true. There you go. Just ask Tottenham and West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Anna Baje was over in England and went to watch this game rather than her old club, Man United. To be fair, her old club were down in London. Yes. Um, but also, I think it's all about your friendships and allegiances. Yeah. It's not necessarily just about your old club. I think it's kind of like who you're mates with in the WSL. Um, so I'm not too sure. I don't, you know, I don't want to throw any kind of friendship rumours out there, but I'm probably guessing that there's a few people that, you know, she's not seen in a while. Um, that she probably wants to just go and, go and see. So I don't think that's kind of any, um, you know. Don't read too much into it, guys. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to start any rumours here. Uh, I've already started the Casey Sony thing and that went down like an absolute lead balloon. Um, Liverpool host Arsenal this weekend. They beat them 1-0 at the Emirates on the opening day. But this looks like a very different Arsenal side now. Um, it's going to be Jonas's 100th game at Arsenal. Gosh, time flies. I remember remember when he first signed. Um, it hasn't was- blinked since. <laughs> It was quite interesting because the Arsenal uh, Twitter account was kind of asking fans what, you know, they would ask Jonas Eideville, um, you know, and a lot of the fans saying, oh, well, when are Arsenal going to play in the stadium full time? What's the best moment? Um, but I would want to know, did your heart fall out through your bum when Michelle Ajimang scored against you uh, in the Watford game? That's what you're going to ask him. That's what I'd like to ask, yeah. Was there a moment that he thought, shit? <laughs> 
probably not. No, it doesn't so. I think it was probably all Just right. Just that blinking moment. They still had like 20 minutes left and I was thinking, you know, it was, we were talking about, you know, head over heart type vibes. I was like, was there a part where you thought, mm, why did I let them play? God damn it. Yeah. What would have been your question? Um, how do you not spot. need to blink more? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um... I don't know. I'd just love to, I'd like to know more tactically. I think he, he gives some really good answers in press conferences and he's not afraid to kind of go in depth into what they've tried to do in a game, particularly post-match tactically. Mm. And I've read some stuff that he's done in like coach's voice and stuff. And it would probably be something around that because I think he's, he can be very interesting around that subject. I think I'd also ask, how do you sleep at night when you've got 11 attackers on your team? Probably really well. He's just like, yeah. Best way of uh, defending is attacking, isn't it? So put them all on. Sometimes do you go into uh, game thinking... Um, eeny, eeny, meeny, meeny, miny, miny, Yeah. Oh, oh, nice. That's literally what I was going to say. Christ. Holy shit. All right. I'm so glad that's been recorded. Well, Can I just well, say well. one thing? What's interesting about the fact that they're playing Liverpool, um, because Liverpool, when they lost 5-0, 5-1 to Chelsea, yep. the next WSL game, they played Brighton and they won 4-0. So I think it's interesting... They've come off the back of a heavy loss. Okay. They know they've beaten Arsenal away from home this season. Could make for a very tasty 100th match rival. Oof. All right, well, I've not thought about that. Because obviously Arsenal beat Everton this weekend, but I think a little bit like Chelsea, they were a bit too comfortable in the fact that they were winning. And, you know, Everton, it it allowed Everton... Well, Everton got back into the game. It was 1-1, but it just felt in the second half. They just were a little bit too lax, and maybe that's what happened with Chelsea. They were a little bit too relaxed about the fact that they were beating United and thought they ha- United hadn't really turned up. So could be an interesting fixture. All right, predictions for a Liverpool upset? Potentially. A little bit of a tasty match anyway. I mean, that would, great, that, well, that would make for a great episode on Tuesday. So yeah, I back it. Absolutely. We are back tomorrow night where we'll be bringing you a reaction pod straight after Chelsea's showdown with Real Madrid in a huge Champions League tie. We'll be there in the press box for our first ever upfront episode at a Champions League game. And no doubt we'll see another Lauren James hat-trick. You heard it here first. It's going to happen. Three in a row? Absolutely. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and X. Uh, I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball and we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you tomorrow night. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
That's stamps.com code program.